Welcome back to Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro. And I'm Tara. For our first-time listeners, on this podcast, we bring inspiring stories from leaders in the startup space in a casual, coffee shop-style conversation. You'll hear how founders, makers, and investors are building the new generation of disruptive startups. Big shout-out to our listeners in Australia and India. Thanks for following the show, because no matter where in the world you are, you will learn from leaders who are risking everything to start their business and are building a new tomorrow. For this episode, we have Uzoma Orchingwa, founder at Emilio. The name comes from the word amelioration, which means to make things better. And their mission is to make it easier for families to keep in contact with their incarcerated loved ones. Uzoma and a few of his fellow Yale classmates founded the startup while at university. I'm very optimistic to see social-driven startups like Emilio coming out of universities like Yale. Not all dorms need to build a new social network. And to talk with Uzoma, we invited Ismita Pipilat, VP of Diversity, Inclusion and Equity at Zendesk. And previously, she was Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Dow Jones. Are you ready? Let's sit down and start up. Okay, Ozoma, let's get this started. What is your favorite coffee shop drink? Um, for me, it's just a, an Americano. I'm, I'm pretty simple. So, yeah, just an Americano. Excellent. That's, that, that was easy. Like Americano. Yes, mine is Americano and cappuccino. Two things. Awesome. Um, would you share with our listeners more about yourself, about Emilio, and really the problem that you're trying to solve? Yes, yes. Um, so I'm currently a joint degree student at Yale Law School and Yale School of Management. Um, but I'm currently on a leave of absence to focus on uh, scaling Emilio. Um, but uh, yeah, so as you can tell my name from my name, uh, I'm, I'm Nigerian American. Uh, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, but I spent the first uh, part of my life uh, in, in Nigeria. Uh, and then my family moved uh, to Connecticut where, where we've lived uh, um, what a change. So, yeah, I know from super hot to, uh, yeah, one of the colder places in, in the States, but I've, I've, adju- I've adapted. Um, but yeah, you, you asked about kind of the, the, the background for Emilio. Um, so yeah, I can kind of dive into that. Before I started up at, at Yale Law School, I was actually uh, getting an MPhil in criminology at the University of Cambridge, where I was studying the history and causes of U.S. mass incarceration. Uh, I've long been really passionate about this issue, um, primarily because um, some of my childhood friends were, were incarcerated. Um, so that kind of just, you know, got me interested in this problem to you know, really try to figure out, you know, um, how can we solve it? So I decided to, to go study it. Um, and at the, at the end of my time at Cambridge, I realized that a lot of the policy solutions that, you know, I was promoting in, in my master's dissertation uh, were just going to take a long time to come to fruition, uh, primarily be due to how, how balkanized um, the, the U.S. criminal justice system is. So we really don't it's have... It's complicated, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. We, we really don't have one system. We have, you know, 51 yes. different systems. Um, yeah. yeah, so I was just looking for, for ways to uh, have an impact and uh, really stumbled onto the issue of prison communications. Um, so at Amelia, we're, we're not only building a free prison communication platform, but, but we like to think about it uh, that, that we're building a uh, the technological bridge that's going to reconnect 
uh, the incarcerated with with the, with the outside world and, and vital resources that they're going to need uh, in order to safely and successfully uh, reacclimate to to society. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the origin. It was just, you know, reading a lot of different reports and just learning about this immense problem. You know, it's a $1.2 billion industry uh, dominated by two companies that are really charging families uh, a lot of money um, to stay connected. Um, wow. it's, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the backdrop. Wow, that's fascinating, right? In terms of, yeah, I completely relate to it coming from outside of the country. I can relate to it, how complex the system is here. And it's not easy. You know, we all want to change the world, but it's not easy. But what is, I think, super fascinating and inspiring about you, Zoma, is that you acknowledge that right up front that, you know, look, I can't change the world at, you know, the step one, but I can make a difference in my own way. So that leads me to the question of, you know, when did you realize that you, you know, you, you knew you wanted to solve this? Mm-hmm. What exactly was the point when you realized I'm going to take a stab and this is how I'm going to solve it? What was your journey like? Yes. So, um, so for me, that just was a lot of research. I think, you know, before, you know, diving into any endeavor, it's really important that, that one really studies and un- understands it and, and all its intricacies. So I spent a lot of time just reading about uh, prison communications, reading different reports, different studies that talked about, you know, the impact uh, of family ties. Um, so that was kind of the first one. Um, and, and the first step was just really kind of thinking about what a solution would, would look like. You know, and I, I thought about, you know, would it be better to spend time advocating for lower calls or lower cost calls for families? Um, and I, I I realized that the best way to solve this problem was not to go about, you know, trying to improve the current status quo was, but, but rather to, to disrupt it. Um, and, and because, because of the profit incentives that these companies have, uh, I realized that the only way we could do this was through a, through a nonprofit, um, but also a, a new a technology company that that's going to build better on cheaper tools for, for families. Wow. That's that, that is again, so, so amazing that you're saying, look, as a big system that is at work here. Of course, it'll take a few years to shift it. But meanwhile, what can I do? What can I build from scratch that can solve this, right? And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said people who are incarcerated, they're already so you know, disconnected from their families. What can you do to bring them together? And you've, you, this is the best case example of technology put to you. So well done there. Um, I'm sure in your experience of connecting families, connecting people who are separated from their loved ones, there might be, you know, a few experiences that have really, really touched you, right? That yeah. things that have really said, wow, this was worth it. This was worth what I what I did and invested my time in. Can you share some of those experiences? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I have a, a, a number of them that come to mind. Uh, one of the first one was um, but from a guy named Richard Watkins. Uh, we were, uh, Gabe and I, who's my co-founder, before we, we started building any of the technology, we uh, were interviewing formerly incarcerated uh, people. Uh, we, we went to an organization in New Haven called Emerge, and they work with formerly released uh, uh, folk and give them employment, um, give them um, different different um, training, parental training, and things of the like. So. Uh, I reached out to Alden, who, who's their director, and uh, he allowed us to come in, pitch our solution, and start interviewing uh, people. And so, so what Richard said to us was that you know, 5 p.m. in any correctional facility is either you know the the best time or the worst time, uh, because that's when they do mail call. 
So you have, you know, uh, correctional, correctional uh, guards going out and passing out mail at the facility. And oftentimes you have a lot of people who have just completely lost touch with their families. They're not getting any letters. Um, you know, they're watching, the, you know, their bunkmate or, or someone else, you know, get, get, get letters. Um, so that really kind of stood out to us. And we were thinking, wow, like, so letters are, are, are such a powerful tool. Um, you know, you know, most of us are using email or, or video technologies. Um, so that was one of the first sparks. Like, wow, we can build something um, that that can really try to start solving some of this issue of isolation uh, that exists. Uh, and, but another story that really comes to mind is on one of our users, Savannah, um, she, she uh, kind of unsolicited actually sent us an email uh, and, and noted that um, she was just incredibly grateful for, 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 for the service uh, because she doesn't have any health insurance. Um, so all of, uh, she has to kind of really budget tightly and her husband is incarcerated. So she has to decide between, you know, paying for stands, paying for photos or, or um, other basic, uh, basic family needs. So she noted that uh, being able to take away this just, you know, this added uh, financial burden on her would allow her to really stay connected with her husband uh, and, and, and also be able to afford all all, all the services that, that, that she needed. Wow, those are powerful stories, Azoma. And again, I'm just inspired and absolutely just just speechless with the stories that you're sharing with us. And, and if this year, 2020 has taught us anything. It has taught us the value of human connection. Right? Each of us isolated in our own homes or little bubbles and pods. And the fact that we need, despite all of the technology we have at our fingertips, we still need that human connection. So the fact that you've been able to do this is, is unbelievable. And I was, I was, I was thinking that your team has done such a fantastic job so far. You've helped 20,000, I guess, plus families. Oh, no. So right now we're up to 30,000 actually. Um, yeah. People so far. So yeah, it's been amazing. Families, hundreds of thousands of mails sent. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And all of that is for free. Yes. Yes. How is, how is that possible? How is, I mean, there's no free lunch. So how no, that's is a great question. free and how do you keep the lights up? No, that's a great question. And, and one of the feedback we've gotten from, from a lot of people was that, you know, this sounds crazy. Like you're going to pay uh, for free letters and, and then in the future video calls and, and other services. Um, so there's 27 million uh, people in America that are impacted by this problem that have loved ones are incarcerated. Um, and so my idea was that, you know, first let's, the ideal is free. You know, we don't have to pay for Google. We don't pay for a lot of the services that a lot of us use in the free world. Obviously, you know, that's on the software side and we're actually, you know, using software to send physical letters. But uh, my vision was, what is the ideal? The idea would be a world where, you know, anyone who has love that's incarcerated can can connect with them free of charge. Uh, so that's where we started. Uh, and then we figured, you know, along the way, we're going to figure out a way to be self-sustainable. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so every family's getting, uh, um, we started off with seven free letters a week, but we quickly learned that, you know, average users are sending uh, about 2.5 letters uh, per week. We realized that, you know, we could reduce uh, the number of letters uh, and then figure out other ways to incentivize those who are financially able uh, to be able to support those who, who can't. Um, so we rolled out a gift store feature um, that allows users to, you know, send um, more premium content, uh, be it games that we've designed, uh, articles, um, short stories, and just other content. Um, so what's happening is that those who are financially able can purchase 
these additional uh, services, and then all the revenue from that goes to supporting our families uh, who, who can't afford uh, uh, to stay connected. Um, but to, to, to jump to, to get off the ground, we um, needed obviously foundational support. Um, so one of our first backers was was Mozilla. They allowed us into their uh, Mozilla Builders Program and wrote us our first check. And through that, we were able to uh, get our first engineer on board, and, and was able to start paying him. Um, and we've gotten support from other really amazing foundations. Uh, Jack Dorsey, through his um, Star Small Fund, gave us a huge check. Um, uh, it's not; it wasn't that huge, but it was it was huge. <laughs> so not to not to scare away any potential uh, funders in the future. Um, but Schmidt Futures as well is is one of our big supporters. So uh, really really appreciative to them. But but that's that's basically how we got off the ground and how we're thinking about being so sustainable in the future. Amazing! So glad you were able to get the resources, and definitely, hopefully, with this podcast, you'll get more. So uh, doors open for that. So. Um, it, it, it all sounds like this fascinating story that, you know, you had an idea, you put this product together, you got the support and you're, you know, off to the races, but I'm sure there were some technical hurdles, right? So yes. share some of the, some of the hurdles you faced. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, it's interesting because um, we're, we're, we're basically using software to send physical content. So it's a little bit of a, it's a little interesting, but, but um, yeah, so one of the biggest hurdles we face is that, you know, there's over, you know, 6,000 correctional facilities in the U S um, each has different mailing addresses. Um, and often the, the physical addresses are, are different from the, the mailing addresses. So one of the first hurdles we had was, you know, how do we collect all the, the address information and verify it? Um, and so that's one of the things we, we did. So we wrote crawlers to basically uh, build out this this um, uh, this is factory facility data or this this facility database. Uh, another issue was. Um, different states uh, have different mailing guidelines. So you have a state like uh, Texas that doesn't allow any postcards. Um, and some states don't allow uh, color color content. Um, some states, uh, so it, it really differs. And then you also then have at the county jail level, states that have different policies there as well. So one of the issues we had was like, how do we make sure that our letters are arriving and our users aren't um, disappointed by a lack of being able to, to deliver the content? Um, so we decided that, you know, the best way to go about it is just to launch the service that you know there's so many facilities out there that it's going to be hard to email all of them or call all of them to figure out the specifications so where we could we 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 wrote the we wrote scripts that they made sure that um if you say you were living in texas you want to send a letter to texas you weren't able to send a postcard but you could send a letter um if you were living in a particular uh, jurisdiction that didn't allow color um, we wrote a script for that as, as well so that's the way we kind of went about the problem and has since been iterating the app in such a way that we take into account all the idiosyncrasies that exist um, there as, as well. Um, but yeah, I can dive into other other problems, technical challenges. This, this is, I mean, again, you know, you've come a long way, right? You've done a lot and it's incredible how much you've done in such a short period of time. So what's next for Ozoma, the person? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great question. So as I mentioned before, I, I come from a, a Nigerian family and, you know, some of the stereotypes that exist, you know, in our community uh -huh. is that uh, we're, you know, you can only be a doctor, engineer, or uh -huh. lawyer. So one of the issues I'm having right now is just being able to try to convince my parents that, you know, this is a worthwhile endeavor to, to commit my life to. 
Good uh, luck. And, uh, <laughs> I know it's been challenging. It's been challenging, especially with, you know, corporate law uh, right around the corner. Um, but, but yeah, I've been kind of explaining to them that this is just a monumental problem. We, we know we spend $80 billion a year on corrections, yet, you know, uh, more than 50% of folks who are incarcerated will end up back uh, in prison. And it's, it's not just, you know, recidivism, but it's also the communities that are harmed, the families that are harmed. Um, so, so uh, you know, the reason why I went to law school uh, was to be able to, you know, get the training to be able to solve really big uh, uh, problems like this one. Um, you know, while I thought, you know, I'd be arguing cases in, in courtrooms and, and changing policy in that way, I've learned that, you know, one could also do that through through, through technology. Um, yeah. And so, so for me, I think it's, you know, one kid getting my parents on board, um, getting more, <laughs> getting more funders on board and really trying to take this thing to, to the next level. We want to be able to uh, not just be a communication provider, not just a letter provider, but uh, a video conferencing tool, a virtual learning tool for uh, incarcerated uh, folk um, and just really transform American corrections with a free, free, free technology. Well, I'm sure your parents are super proud of you. And if they have any doubt of, you know, your future, you should have them listen to this podcast. I'm sure they'll be super convinced. I, I definitely will. Very, very, very well done. So last question for you uh, and switching gears here. When you request customer service from a company, what's your go-to customer service channel? That's a great question. So I, I like chat chatbots um, or, or chat chat boxes. It's just like a really efficient way for, for you to get in touch with someone you, you need help with. Uh, emailing takes a long time. So being able to like have, you know, someone that, that's going to respond to you right away um, is, is something that, that I really like. So, uh, yeah. So through Zendesk, actually, I know this is not a plug, but um, through you guys, we have a we have, you know, we have a chat box uh, on, our, on our app that allows users to be able to connect with with Eddie, who's an amazing customer service manager on our team. Um, but yeah, it, you, you should look at the, I said the app store, we have, you know, one of the biggest reasons I think folks love our app is that, you know, our customer our response team is extremely fast um, and, and really responsive to them. Super. No, I know it was not a plug, but always good to hear good <laughs> things about Zendesk. So that's what we are about good customer service. So thank you so much. It was such a pleasure, Zoma. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining our pod, Uzoma. Aminio is doing really important work. And everybody really needs more connection right now. Completely agree, Pedro. And I'm very impressed how Emilio was forward thinking and how they use technology to make sure those connections are reliable and consistent. Great stuff. If you like this episode, help us grow. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a review. We'll be back next week with Rebecca Moore, COO at TravelNest. Don't miss the next episode to hear her insights on how the pandemic impacted the travel industry. Until then, stay safe and hungry. Thank you.